Welcome, and thank you for joining us on the Harvest Lakeshore podcast. Harvest Lakeshore is a redeemed family who loves God and loves others. For more info about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. This morning, our scripture reading is Psalm 51, verses 1 through 6. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. This is the reading of God's Word. You may be seated. Thank you, Dwayne. Appreciate you sharing that with us this morning. I thought before we um, kind of jump into the Word of God today, let's, um, let's just have a kind of a, a personal time of, of just personal prayer, all right? Just maybe just quietly, individually asking God to, um, to prepare our hearts um, for what he has to say in his word today. Uh, a lot's been going on this past week. A lot of things have gone through our hearts, a lot of things through our minds. And yet, um, you know, we as a church family, we, we need to hear from the Lord today. And he has something he wants to tell us today. So let's just bow our heads and just quietly, silently, just ask God to, uh, to do a, a special work in our lives today. Father, we're thankful that we have your word today. We thank you that your word was was given through your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, that your word is that which um, speaks to our hearts and speaks to our minds and transforms our lives and our thinking. We thank you, Father, that uh, um, your word is, is there to change us and transform us. And so, Lord, we come to you today with a lot of things that are on our hearts, a lot of things that are on our minds and yet, Lord, quiet our hearts and minds today to listen to you, to listen to your word today, to listen to the message you have for us today. Now, Father, I pray that, um, uh, that I would get out of the way, that I would not be in any way a stumbling block or a, a hindrance uh, to what you want to accomplish today. Uh, Father, might uh, it be all about your word? Might it be all about um, uh, what you want to accomplish in each one of our lives And Lord, we pray that you would get all the credit and all the glory. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Sometimes smart people do dumb things. Sometimes wise people do foolish things. And sometimes godly people do sinful things. And when we blow it, when we blow it big time, We really need God's help. We really need God's help. Today we want to look at the familiar story of a godly man who blew it big time. 
He was the king of Israel. You know his name. His name was David. He was smart. He was wise. God said that he was a man after his own heart, so he was not only smart and wise, but he was as godly as they come. But he put himself in the wrong place at the wrong time. He saw, he looked, he kept looking. He sent for Bathsheba and committed adultery with her. And then he found, when he found out she was pregnant, he tried to devise a plan to cover his sins. So he had his, her husband killed in battle, covering up the murder as just simply a casualty of war. There was lust, there was adultery, there was deceit, there was murder, there was cover-up. David sinned big time. Several months later, God sent a prophet named Nathan to confront David. And Nathan gave, uh, gave, gave him God's message in a very, very simple story that's recorded for us in 2 Samuel 12, 1 to 15. I just encourage you to follow along as I read the story. In 2 Samuel 12, verse 1, we read, And the Lord God sent Nathan to David. And Nathan said to David, There were two men in a certain city. The one was rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb which he had brought, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and his, with his children. It used to eat his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But instead, he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he, has, because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah, and if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord, to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have devised, de despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son, for you did it secretly." But I will do this thing before all Israel and before the Son. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house, and the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David and he became sick. If we were to put a headline or if we were to put a tagline onto those verses that I just read, I think it would be this, blunt confrontation 
led to scathing condemnation, which was followed immediately by crushing consequences. I mean, that's kind of the nuts and bolts of that passage, right? And there was no way of escape. But the good thing about David is that David didn't look for a way to escape. He didn't look for any. In fact, in verse 13, we read it just a moment ago, David said to Nathan, I have sinned. He said, I have sinned against the Lord. Now, you know, one thing that all of us have in common, and that is failure. Every single one of us share that in common. Uh, and, and when we fail, failure raises just a whole, a whole set of pressing questions. Things like this, how can I ever recover when I've done something so terribly wrong? How do I erase the guilt, the shame, the embarrassment? How do I find the courage and strength to deal with all the consequences? How do I restore my relationship with God and with the people I've hurt? How can I recover from the huge fallout? Questions like those and many, many more. David failed big time. And it was a moment in which all could have been lost, but it wasn't lost. It wasn't lost because with our God, failure never has to be final. It never has to be final. No matter how bad, no matter how wrong, no matter how ashamed, how embarrassed we might rightly feel, in times like these, we need to turn to God just like David did. Just like David did. Will there be consequences? Sure. Will there be pain? Of course. Does it have to ruin our life forever? Absolutely not. So today we want to look at the life of a man of God, a godly person in the Bible, who kind of walks us through what he experienced, and from his experience and from his words, we want to learn today, what should we do when we've blown it big time? What should we do when we've blown it big time? If you think about it, Psalm 51 is a very strange piece of literature. It's a very rare piece of literature. It is the prayer of an adulterer. It is the prayer of a liar. It's the prayer of a schemer. It's the prayer of a betrayer. It is the prayer of a murderer who was caught in the act. But it's also the prayer of a child of God who lost his way but was found by a loving and righteous God. So as we look briefly at Psalm 51 this morning, I think what we discover in this psalm is a series of very definable steps that with courage and with integrity must occur in our hearts if we're going to deal effectively with the guilt, the shame, the consequences of our sin. So let's just walk through those steps with David today. And again, let's remember that David's just sharing from his own heart here. He's just saying, this is what I went through, this is what I walked through, and he's sharing it with us, the prayer of a murderer, the prayer of an adulterer caught in the act, but a prayer of a child of God who lost his way but was found by a loving and righteous heavenly Father. Step number one, come clean and ask for God's cleansing. Come clean and ask for God's cleansing. I mean, just simply look at verse 1. David prays, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. What is David saying to us? He's simply saying, get honest. That's what he's telling us, get honest. He's saying, get it out in the open. Stop rationalizing. 
Stop minimizing. Stop excusing. Stop blame shifting. Stop spinning. David says, just, just admit it. Just come clean. Now, folks, let's be honest. It is not easy to come clean, is it? That's not an easy thing to do. At least three different reasons why it's not easy to come clean. Number one, there's just the fear of losing our reputation, right? I mean, if I come clean and there's public exposure, I mean, that could fill me with all kinds of fears of dreads and all kinds of things that could happen to me. I don't know if I want to go there. There's also the fear of losing our favorite sin. The truth is repentance requires us to renounce and abandon our sin. And I don't know about your life, but I'll tell you about mine. That's not an easy thing to do. There are some sins that I've been holding on to for 30, 40, 50 years. It's hard to do that to come clean. There's also the fear of losing our security. I mean, there could be a, a loss of financial security. There could be a loss of relational security. That's often linked to hiding our sins, so we just don't want to go there. And yet David is telling us in this passage, in this text, that we should trust God, that the ultimate outcome of obedience will be good, and that the price tag of covering up our sin is far greater than the price tag of coming clean. So David exhorts us, he encourages us, he just shares with us from his heart that we are to come clean and ask for God's cleansing. Now the question is, on what basis do we ask for that cleansing? On what basis do we come clean? Well, on the same basis that David did. Look again at verse 1. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. So what was the basis that he was appealing to as he comes clean? What is the basis that he's appealing to when it comes to asking God for cleansing? Well, it's God's steadfast love. That word, steadfast love, is actually one word in the Hebrew. Um, it refers to God's covenant love. It's, it refers to God's loyal love. It refers to that aspect of God's love where God says, I'll keep up my end of our relationship no matter what. It's that kind of love. That's the kind of love David was appealing to. He said, I appeal to your steadfast love, your covenant love, your loyal love. He was saying, I'm not appealing to some other kind of love or some kind of other kind of affection. What I need right now is for you to keep your end of the relationship even though I've blown it big time. That's what I'm appealing to. That's what I'm appealing to. And not only did he appeal to God's steadfast love, he also appealed to God's abundant mercy. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. God's compassion. It is that aspect of God's character that wells up in him as pity and concern at the sight of our deepest needs and our deepest hurts and our deepest pains. So when we're guilty like David knew he was, We've got to come clean before God without any conditions, relying totally, completely on his loyal love, his steadfast love, his covenant love, and relying completely on his abundant mercy and his abundant compassion. So where do we start? We start by coming clean. We start by asking for God's cleansing. That's the first step. What's the second step? The second step is to accept responsibility for my sin. I need to accept responsibility for my sin. Look again at the text of chapter 51 of Psalm 51. Look at verse 2. He says, wash me. He's crying out to God. He's praying to God. And he says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. 
against you, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. I mean, six times, six times in, in three short verses, David very specifically and very personally claims responsibility for his sin. He says, it's my iniquity. It's my sin. It's my transgressions. My sin. I've sinned. I've done what is evil. Again, there's no sense of victim mentality here. There's no sense of blame shifting here. There's no deflection here. There's no dismissal here. He writes in verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, when you first read that, you think, really, David, you're blaming your mom? You know, really, David, is that what you're doing? Well, that's not what David was doing. He wasn't blaming his mom. He was simply admitting that I have a sin problem that goes beyond just some bad choices, some bad actions, some bad feelings. He saw sin as a problem at the core of his being. He recognized that he had an inborn sinful human nature just as we all do. So David owned his sin not just at the level of behavior. He owned his sin at the level of heart. And he also owned the consequences. Look at verse 4. He says, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. He's saying, I'm, I'm taking full responsibility. He's saying, I deserve whatever I get. I, I recognize that. He accepted full responsibility for his sin. And that's step two. Step three is to accept forgiveness on God's terms. Accept forgiveness on God's terms. Typically, when we find ourselves in a situation where we have failed big time, we have blown it big time, maybe in our, our family relationships or maybe something at work or maybe in some other relationship or some other situation, oftentimes when we're in that position, maybe the, the first thing that sometimes occurs to our mind is this, how can I cut a deal with God? And maybe we say something like this to God. We say, God, if I come clean, I could lose my job. I could lose my family. I could lose my reputation. I could even lose my ministry. If I come clean, what will people think of me? So, God, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to start going to church more. I'm going to be a better husband. I'm even going to give money to the homeless. If you let me keep this secret, I'll never do anything like this again. You know, David didn't do that. He didn't try to cut some deal with God, didn't try to work some relationship sort of under the table with a little bit of a payment to God so that all would be okay. No. Like David, we've got to come to God on his terms. He provides the only way for us to be forgiven. And it's not, it's not by trading in a few good deeds to make up for our sin. It's not by that. I mean, look at verse 6. He says to God, behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. He writes, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. He writes, wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Verse 8, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. As we were reading those verses, you might have noticed in verse 7, there's this little word, purge me with hyssop. I don't know about you, but uh, I don't typically use the word hyssop. I can't think any time in the last five years when I've probably used the word hyssop. 
It's not a word that I use. I don't even know what hyssop is. But hyssop was very important because hyssop was actually a leafy herb that the people of God used to dip in the blood of the sacrificial animal and then wipe it around the door of their homes before the final plague of Egypt. I mean, listen to me. I'm not going to put it up on the screen. Just listen to the words of Moses from Exodus 12 as he describes that scene for us. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb and then take a bunch of hyssop, this leafy herb, and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to, uh, and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. So what's the point that Moses was making? What's the point that David was making? This is the point. Applying the blood of the innocent animal taught them that there was no forgiveness from God, no protection from God's justice outside the personal application of the shed blood of an innocent victim. What was Moses doing in Exodus 12? He was preaching the gospel. What was David doing in Psalm 51? He's preaching the gospel, right? And we've got to recognize that when we've blown it big times, it's not accepting forgiveness or trying to get forgiveness for God on my terms by cutting some deal with him and trying some under the table, I'll do this if you don't do that. No, we come to God, we come to God on the basis only of the personal application of the shed blood of an innocent victim, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So here in Psalm 51, David was declaring his belief in God's method of forgiveness. He was saying, you wash me because only you can make me whiter than snow. You wash me because only you can let me hear joy and gladness. He openly accepted God's cleansing as fully sufficient. Why? Because God was doing the cleaning up. God was doing the cleaning up. So that's step three. Accept forgiveness on God's terms. So once we've come clean, and once we've asked for God's cleansing, once we've, we've owned up to it and taken responsibility for our sin, once we've accepted forgiveness on God's terms, what's the next step? Well, the next step is to request a fresh work of God's grace. Once the sin is forgiven, once the cleansing has taken place, we request a fresh work of God's grace. Look at verse 10. He says to God, create in me a clean heart. Oh God, renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Just look with me for a moment at a few of the words and phrases that David uses in these two verses. One of the first words he uses is the word create. He says, create in me a clean heart. You know, that word create reminds us of Genesis chapter one. It reminds us of God creating something out of nothing. And that's what David was asking for. He's saying God miraculously create a pure heart in the place of this dirty, defiled, dead heart that is who I am. I need a work of recreation in my life. I can't do that on my own. I can't make something out of nothing. It's a dead heart. I need a new living heart. 
So he requests this fresh work of God's grace in recreating, creating a new heart where there was a dead heart. Then he says, renew a right spirit within me. When we've blown it, you know, I think the thing that we often want to do, at least our first response, is to run from God or to run from people, or to just give up. That's sort of the the spirit that takes hold of our mind and our thinking. But David prayed, no, give me a different kind of spirit, a right spirit. Give me the strength to hang in there, to face whatever will come without running from you or running from others. He said, I need a fresh work of God's grace. I need a right spirit within me. Then he prays, cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. As we all know, in Old Testament times, the Holy Spirit of God did not continually indwell his people. And God, or David had seen what had happened to Saul when, uh, when he sinned and God took his spirit away from Saul. And he said, God, I, I want nothing to do with that. I don't want to go there. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to walk that path. I, I saw that path. I was in the, the backwash of that path. I don't, I don't want to be in that path. I don't want anything to do with that path. So cast me not away from your presence. Don't take away your spirit from me. I need a fresh work of your grace. I need your spirit in me. Then he writes in verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. I think he's basically saying, God, I want back the intimacy with you that I once had. When I worship, I want to feel free. When I pray, I want to know that that you're listening. When I read your word, I long to have you speak to me. I want to have that fellowship that we used to have before I sinned. And David recognized that for that to happen, he had to make right choices. He doesn't talk here about how I feel. He says, I need a willing spirit. I need to go forward with a fresh work of grace that makes me willing to do the right things. Not just feel the right things, but do the right things. That's the work of grace I need in my life, to have a transformed action as well as a transformed heart. So he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. So we request that fresh work of God's grace And then step five is resolve to use past failure for future ministry. Resolve to use past failure for future ministry. Look at verse 13. He says to God, then, then I will teach transgressors your ways. Then sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my, uh, uh, oh God of my, uh, oh God, oh God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praises. So David's now looking forward as he's been washed over with the forgiveness of God and he's beginning to experience this fresh work of God's grace in his life. He's looking forward to a time in the aftermath of all of this when he would be able to lead others down the same path that he was traveling. And he had this sure hope that something good would come out of the bad that he had done and the consequences that he was experiencing. What David was able to do and what we need to be able to do is this, is that to see God take the worst of my past and use it to help others in the most gracious way possible so that they too can experience the transformation that I've experienced So seeing God take the worst of my past and use it to help others is the most gracious and healing experience in life. So we need to resolve that by God's grace, those past failures will actually be used for future, more effective, more God-honoring ministry. 
Look at verse 16. He says, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God. This you will not despise. Now, David isn't, uh, he's not putting down uh, the Old Testament sacrificial system here. He's not saying that it wasn't important or necessary. It's just that God doesn't want, he recognized that God didn't simply want his religious rituals. He recognized that God wanted a broken and contrite heart. It's, it's as James said, draw near to God and God will draw near to you. So he says, I want that in my life. I want more than just uh, going through the motions. I want more than just future activity that has no heart or meaning behind it. No, I want a broken and contrite heart because then and only then will you able, be able to take what was a failure and turn it into future effective ministry. So he prays that and he takes that step. God doesn't quit on those who come to him no matter what. And David realized that. And then step number six, pray for limited fallout. Pray for limited fallout. Look at verse 18. He says, do good to Zion. Zion here is a reference to, to all of God's people, all of Israel. He says, do good to Zion in your good pleasure. He says, build up the wall of Jerusalem. And by saying build up the wall, he's saying protect your people, put a hedge around them, put a wall around them. He says, then you will delight in right sacrifices in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bowls will be offered on your altar. I mean, David heard what Nathan said. David understood that in terms of fallout, in terms of consequences, that there was going to be plenty of family consequences and plenty of family fallout. But as king and leader, as the shepherd of God's people, he knew that his sin just didn't impact him. When we sin, it's like tossing a stone into the pond of our life. And everyone in the pond will be touched by the ripples. Sin sets into motion countless effects that we can't control. And oftentimes, we can't even forecast. And so he prayed. He prayed, please, God, don't let my sin ruin other people's lives. He was asking God to minimize the damage his behavior had invited into the lives of those under his leadership. He basically said, God, don't let my blunder mess others up. Don't let that happen. So that's the prayer of a murderer. It's the prayer of an adulterer. But more importantly, it's a prayer of a child of God who came to a loving heavenly father. And as he lays this out for us, he reminds us that the first thing we need to do when we've blown a big time is simply to come clean and ask God's cleansing, ask for God's cleansing, to accept responsibility for my sin to accept forgiveness on God's term, to request a fresh work of God's grace, to resolve to use past failures for future ministry, and then to pray for limited fallout. That's David's counsel to us today. It's his, 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 his encouragement for us today. But you know, maybe there's still the fear of what might happen. Maybe there's still the gnawing sense that maybe God won't do for us what he's done for David and did for others. I encourage each of us today, if we have blown it big time, in some relationship, in some situation, in some circumstance, if we have blown it big time, I encourage us today not to think that way, to take the step, whatever it might be that God wants us to take, to ask the Holy Spirit to give us the courage and the faith to do what we know is right, 
And then to believe that with the help of God's word and the help of God's spirit and the help of God's people, we too can be forgiven. We too can be cleansed. We too can be restored. And in all likelihood, in all likelihood, God will use the very thing that has brought us low and brought us so much pain to serve actually as an instrument of his grace, to serve actually as as a source of healing in not only our own lives, but in the lives of others. So when we blow it big time, let's listen to the word of God. When we blow it big time, let's listen to the example of David. Let's take the step that God places on our heart today and do what God would want us to do. Let's pray. Father in heaven, today we we thank you for your word. Lord, we, uh, like David, we need to, I need to honestly admit that there are many times um, when I blow it. Lord, I recognize that there have been times this week when I have blown it. There have been um, so many thoughts, so many feelings, so many things go through my head. There have probably been words that I have said that have not been. not been honoring to you. Lord, I pray today that we would take to heart, that I would take to heart the instruction of David and that, that I, that we would experience the same grace that he experienced in our lives today. Lord, use your word today in, in whatever way you see fit and uh, for whatever purpose you desire. Amen. Thank you again for joining us on the Harvest Lakeshore podcast. If you have found this content helpful, consider sharing the episode with friends or leave us a rating and review. For more info about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. You are loved.